welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Every year we get inspired by the list of accomplishments of 40 Native people who are making a difference. The National Center for American Indian Enterprise Development's 40 Under 40 Class of 2023 includes leaders in business, tribal government, law, education, and media. They're making strides for their people and building a name for themselves along the way. Today we'll talk to a few of them to get insights into their drive and success. We'll hear more right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Three Alaska tribes are suing the federal government to block a gold mine in southwest Alaska. KMBA's Rhonda McBride has more. The proposed Donlin Gold Mine sits near the upper reaches of the Kuskokwim, one of Alaska's two largest rivers, remote and rich with wildlife. The mine's developers say it also has the potential to be one of the biggest gold mines in the world. Opponents say the massive open pit mine that's envisioned is just too risky. Earth Justice is representing the three tribes that have filed suit, the Ohutsahagamut Native Council, the organized village of Guithluk, and the Tuliksak Native Community. The suit, which was filed in U.S. District Court, challenges the final environmental impact statement for the Donlin Project. It says the mine threatens lands and waters that tribes have relied upon for food and drinking water for time immemorial. The lawsuit claims that mining tailings or spills from barges carrying toxic substances could destroy fisheries and wildlife habitat. Two Canadian companies, Barrick Gold and Nova Gold, are co-owners of the mine, which pits the tribal groups against two Alaska Native corporations, which are partners in the project. The Kuskokwim Corporation owns the land, and Chalista, a regional corporation, owns the mineral rights, and both have touted the mine as a golden opportunity that would bring jobs, infrastructure, and affordable energy. In a news release, Donlin Gold said that the lawsuit is without merit and is confident the decisions made by the federal agencies involved will be upheld. I'm Rhonda McBride. An organization is examining water quality and access on tribal lands. KUNC's Emma Van Denide took a trip to the border of Arizona and New Mexico to learn more. Let me put it fierce. Tysiana Sosi and Kimberly Ballone are standing in the dark in an office bathroom on the Navajo Nation. They're holding up plastic bags filled with water from the sink. Mine is the first bag on top. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Ballone shines a black light on one of the bags. Sosi says that will help find contaminants. What we're looking for is basically if it's like glowing really, really bad. Ballone and Sosi don't think there's any E. coli, but they see some harmless bacteria in some of the numbered bag compartments. Two and three on both of them are fluorescent. I was thinking three, and I don't I don't think yours is. This test is a crucial part of their Diné household water survey, conducted by the Johns Hopkins Center for Indigenous Health. It aims to learn more about water on the Navajo Nation. Estimates about water access and quality vary widely. The Indian Health Service says just over 9% of Native people lack good sanitation, but the Water and Tribes Initiative reports that number is as high as 48%. And the problem is concentrated in the arid southwest. 
from the Navajo Nation to the Rio Grande Pueblos. Well, since the Rio Grande is so close to Albuquerque metropolitan area, that they're finally experiencing what we have been experiencing here. Sosi is familiar with these water issues from her childhood. I did live with my grandmother, and she didn't have piped or running water growing up, so we would have to, you know, use the bathroom outside. After she and her mom moved out, Sosi got access to some running water. It wasn't great water. It was kind of yellow, <laughs> but it was still um, safe enough to, you know, bathe and never drank it. Sosi hopes the survey results can highlight a vital resource their nation needs. Balone agrees. It is a basic thing. It, everyone should be entitled to running water and all of that, but we're not here. I'm Emma Vandenindy. This story is supported by the Water Desk at the University of Colorado Boulder. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB who support this program. Support by the Gathering of Nations Powwow, a live event taking place April 27th, 28th, and 29th on the Powwow Grounds of Expo New Mexico, featuring song, dance, trader's market, horse parade, and more. Tickets available at gatheringofnations.com and at the gates. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. This year's class of 40 under 40 includes the youngest person to ever hold the Navajo Nation President's Post, an international model and environmental activist, and a tribal legislator. As always, it's an impressive list of people representing a wide range of accomplishments. We want to note that Native America Calling senior producer Andy Murphy is among those being recognized this year. The entire group was honored this week at the Reservation Economic Summit put on in Las Vegas by the National Center for American Indian Enterprise Development. Would you like to join our conversation about the outstanding talent that is working on behalf of Native people? You can dial in at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also go on to our Facebook page and comment on today's post or reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter. Our Twitter handle, 1-800-99-NATIVE. On the line now in Las Vegas, Nevada, is Kwana Rose Chasing Horse. She's a model and activist. She's Hongwichan and Sikanju Oglala Lakota. Kwana, congratulations and welcome to Native America Calling. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm just happy to, to be here and um, thank you for bringing me on. Absolutely. And I mean, this amazing career that you've embarked on, high-profile fashion magazines, international runways, outspoken Native activism, and now 40 Under 40. How does this compare with all of your other accolades and accomplishments? Man, honestly, you know, I think the most f fulfilling thing for me is coming back and being a part of community again and just reconnecting and getting to see familiar faces. And just, I'm very honored and Honestly, I didn't expect or even realize, you know, um, that 
you know, I think as Native people, we're so humble that it's hard to recognize our, you know, accomplishments or just be proud of them. And I'm so honored to have been celebrated with, you know, 39 other amazing, powerful young leaders doing such incredible work in in what they do. So, yeah, it's it's been crazy. It's been good. Just working really hard, staying busy, and making sure that everything that I do uh, aligns with, you know, my values. And um, I try my best to uplift my people in everything that I do. So, yeah, it's been great. Crazy busy, Kwana. I'll bet that's an an understatement. I'm curious to know, I mean, what is a typical day in the life of a high-profile fashion model activist like yourself? And what's the first thing you do? You get up in the morning. What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? And, and how do you fill those hours in between? Um, well, if I'm working, <laughs> it's different. But if I'm just home um, and I'm just chilling, you know, I have maybe a few days off just to relax and be back home. I usually take the time to rest, but also, you know, I have a dog and she's one years old. And so it's been <laughs> nice to be home and, you know, take her out, go on little hikes. I try my best to just, you know, find um, balance and realign myself so that I can show up in a good way in, in my work. Um, but yeah, when I wake up, you know, I just usually rest for like, and just sit in bed for like 30 minutes. And then I get up, I eat, get ready for my day. Um, and, you know, I cater so much to my dog because she's the only person that lives at my house. She's not even a person. She's a dog, but <laughs> I consider her like my child, you know, she's the best and I have so much fun with her and she, um, it's just really fun. But when I'm working, I usually have a tight schedule. So I wake up super early, you know, I get going, go to work. Um, but yeah, it's honestly different every day. Like it's it's never the same. And mm -hmm. I think that's what makes it very interesting and honestly kind of difficult in different ways because I never know what I'm doing until I'm doing it. <laughs> well, I think a lot of us can relate to how close you are with your dog because it, it's the same way in our house here. We've got a, a little puppy and <laughs> she's just like totally uh, the focus of everybody's attention every day. So Kwana, I mean... It's, it's not easy for a Native person to achieve mainstream success, and, and, and those who have are, are very few and far between. What are some challenges you faced while expanding your influence beyond Native America now? Oh, man, it's been, honestly, just, it's been amazing because, you know, I didn't think that I would have any influence outside of our own community just because, you know, it's normal to us and we see it in our daily lives, you know, our, our art, our fashion, our songs, our ceremonies, everything that makes us authentic. But because the industry, you know, film, fashion has been very stereotypical and has tried to make Native Americans fit the way they see us instead of us, you know, reclaiming our identity and showing the world who we are, we're kind of put into this box that they want us to fit into and we don't because Native Americans, you know, we're all different. We have different cultures and traditions and um, we have different art, different um, styles. I just think it's so cool to be able to show, you know, this industry how um, different it really is compared to the stereotypes and um, reclaiming our, our art and, you know, the fashion industry is so 
appropriative. You know, our culture mm-hmm. is constantly being appropriated. And so, you know, anytime I do work, I really try my best to, you know, if they want any Native jewelry, that they aren't just getting it from a cheap place, that it's actually authentically made by a Native American person. And, you know, it's like I try my best to bring um, Native designers, Native art into um, my shoots and everything that I do to get that kind of publicity, get that um, media, just because, you know, our people deserve it. I think, you know, Native Americans has, we have so much to give in this world. We have so much beauty. We have so much love. We have so much, you know, good energy and just, you know, and having a community like this is rare. You know, not a lot of communities are as tight knit as the Native community is. And so like, you know, I just wanted to show that and I, I hope I'm I'm making my people proud. I try my best to make my people proud. But, you know, um, for big moments like the Met Gala, you know, stuff like that, I take it so seriously. And I just, I want my people to feel seen in a good way. I don't ever want to be, um, you know, doing something that my community ends up being like, you know, why would you do that? That doesn't align with who we are, um, our values. And so, you know, and also being an advocate, you know, um, someone who has been in the advocacy space before modeling, I try my best to bring, you know, that into my modeling work and have those challenging conversations, uncomfortable conversations, you know, because that's how you grow and that's how people learn and that's how we do better. And so being in an industry that is, you know, um, one of the leading causes of many of today's problems, whether it be the climate crisis to social injustices and beyond, you know, um, every job that I take, I make sure, you know, I ask them, where is is your brand at with sustainability? Where are you at with different, you know, social um, issues and so on? So, you know, just to see where... uh, where they align, if they align, and if they do, and if they they have their own initiatives that they're doing, it's amazing. But if I can help them and encourage them and direct them in the right way to do more, then that's even better. Okay. Kwan, I'm glad you mentioned that, you, you know, that the fashion industry, uh, you know, can do better in many ways. And I mean, as Native people, many of us, we don't share the physical characteristics and body types that are so often valued by, you know, mainstream fashion and things of that nature. And, and sadly, some of us suffer from body image and, and confidence issues. What's your message to anyone listening today that struggles in that regard? I just want to say that, you know, there's space for everyone, you know, um, and that, you know, you have to recognize that we have to just be thankful for our living bodies, you know, our bodies do so much for us. And we, we criticize ourselves so much. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we, we're not always happy with what we see, but we have to just sit and remind ourselves that my body is sacred, that we are sacred, that we come from strong bloodlines and powerful people. And not everything has to do with the outside, but if you are struggling with your body image, just remember that there is space for you everywhere, that you are beautiful, that the, the beauty standards that was created, you know, um, and if you don't fit that beauty standard, then create your own because we are beautiful in our own ways. And um, I think it's super unfair that, you know, society expects us to live up to those expectations when in reality, nobody does. No one truly lives up to those expectations. And if they, if it seems like they do, then it's fake. 
because people try so hard to be what everyone else wants them to be. But be proud of who you are. Be proud of your body. Be proud of, you know, um, your people and where you come from and what you represent um, because that is what, you know, everyone wants now. You know, especially in the industry, people want authenticity. People want genuine, you know, um, authentic, real people in these spaces because, you know, again, a lot of people are ready for this change. People want more inclusivity and representation. People want more, um, you know, diversity in not just fashion, but in other spaces, whether it be political spaces, whether it be, you know, acting or behind the camera or in every single space, there needs to be an Indigenous voice and body. And um, don't ever, you know, um, judge yourself in a way that um, you try to fit into the norm. Because in all honesty, not a single Native person fits in the norm. We are not normal. We are Indigenous, and um, be proud of that. Kwana, I'm so sorry. I know you've got uh, a flight to catch, and, and I really appreciate you taking time to join us today, but we are going to have to go to a break and, and let you go. But I just want to thank you again for, for coming on the show and speaking such inspiring words and, and I am very happy for you, Kwana. I'm happy for you and your family with all of your success. And I just wish you so much more going forward. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful day. You as well, Kwana. Travel safely. Folks, uh, we are celebrating Native 40 Under 40 awardees today. Give us a short moment here to take a break, and we'll be right back. A proposed gold mine in Alaska promises a return of some $80 billion and hundreds of jobs for Alaska Native workers. The project received a key environmental permit by the federal government in 2018, but local Native groups are now suing to stop the mine, claiming flaws in the environmental review. We'll hear about the project and the next Native America Calling. Cachet! You're listening to Native America Calling. We're getting inspiration today from some members of NCAIED's accomplished list of Native 40 Under 40 awardees. Many of the names you likely already know, and some might be new to you. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest is on the line in Concho, Oklahoma, where we have Travis Ruiz. He's the Speaker of the 9th Legislature for the Arapaho District 3 of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribes. He's Cheyenne and Arapaho. Travis, congratulations and great to have you on the show. How about Well, Travis, uh, I know you just got home from Las Vegas earlier this week. Tell us more about your career and how you earned this prestigious award. Um, so I work for the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribes as a legislator and my job includes appropriating funds for our tribal programs to 
uh, administer uh, services to our tribal citizens. Um, how I got the award, I'm not sure. I just I was getting a root canal, and <laughs> I I just got an email, and I was like, okay, you know. And I've never really received an award or anything like this before, so it was it was really a shock, you know, a shock to to see that you know somebody nominated me for this, and I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think of is you know I'm maybe like the first in my family to complete high school. Um, and earn a GED and go on to uh, begin my undergrad work at Lawrence, Kansas at uh, Haskell Indian Nations University. And then from there, um, you know, just keep kept working towards it. And then I wanted to make a difference in my community. So after leaving Lawrence, you know, being a first generation non-traditional student and the community there, I was an ambassador for the university and um, I was involved with AHEC Law and then kind of, I think that's what led me towards I uh, wanted to come back to my community and help make a difference and help create and change. And so, but what I think the the significance of the whole uh, time since I've been in my position would probably be the first ever constitutional amendment that our tribes have ever uh, agreed on. And so um, blood quantum is an issue that many tribes face. And so it was, it, it was affecting our tribe where our numbers were declining and they weren't uh, increasing and so there there had been attempts prior to um, me coming into the office of the blood quantum you know going under the change and so um, it for some reason at that time wasn't uh, ready for uh, the tribes to vote on and for the tribes to agree upon because it had to be a unanimous vote amongst the legislature for the uh, vote to even go towards the for the general election or for the general uh vote, I guess I should say, but we, through a series of, you know, uh, just passing on the correct knowledge, making sure that your, you know, your sources are credible, we were able to accomplish our blood quantum, and since then our tribe is, you know, it's growing, and, you know, Shine Rappos are going to be here for, you know, as long as this blood quantum is, is able to be effective, but it's been, it's been amended in the past, in like the 50s, and so, and a lot of the work that I was able to help um, getting something like this done was reverting back to the to what the the previous people in our positions had had to go through to kind of get an understanding of what the reasons are for not wanting to change the blood quantum and what the pros and the cons are mm-hmm. going back and forth. And so that's how we were able to accomplish that. And you know, ultimately, I had to go to, to the vote of the people, and our people agreed that you know we want to see our Shine Rapo people here. And um, you know, I feel like that was it was a it was a huge task. I was just the co-sponsor for the resolution. The uh, the legislator who sponsored the, the legislation was the former Arapaho District One legislator Billy Sutton. She's out of uh, Canton, Oklahoma, but she retired, and so. Um, you know, it's important to us that, you know, we continue our, our legacies through, uh, you know, our languages. And she's a huge proponent for that. She's a, a, one of my teachers that I go to for language resources. And I think that was the, the major stepping stone. Okay. I was trying to bridge, bridge that. Yeah. Well, Travis, uh, you know, so many tribes, of course, are dealing with similar blood quantum issues and, you know, reevaluating longstanding enrollment policies and such. Uh, was 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 the, the tribe divided on that, and was there a lot of conflict and, and 
a, a lot of debate over that uh, amendment that you folks uh, move forward? Sure. Um, I like to say that there was healthy debate. <laughs> you know, okay. I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, we all have our views and opinions where we're all raised uh, to uh, more or less. I, I'm not sure why, but everybody had their own stance. I know some of my own uh, friends and some of my own family, you know, they, they were they were taking the stance that, you know, there needs to be uh, an understanding that if you marry outside of the tribe, then you're essentially forfeiting the uh, right to be a tribal member, so to speak. So a lot of what we had to um, address those type of, uh, you know, scenario situations were with more of a logical base instead of an emotional base. Uh, standpoint because you know you look at the the Indian Reorganization Act you know in the 70s and then on to the freedom of religion in 1993 up until there's a whole generation there that was denied the what we take as a you know I don't want to say as a privilege but it, it, it really is because at one point in time there was you know not even a, the ability for people to freely worship or speak their language in classes and so I think it, it had to, it was a lot of learning on both sides is what I'm trying to say. And yeah, so, you know, yeah, look, literally having to work with people who thought, you know, no, that's, that's this reason. But I like to, there's a book called rebuilding native nations and my instructor at Haskell, Melanie Daniel, she is an awesome instructor um, over there at the, the business side over there at Haskell. And um, she, she put us on to some resources. And so we would, essentially play out scenarios like this in, in, in our class at high school. And, you know, do, and we would ask these tough questions, ask these uncomfortable questions. Why, why, why don't these people get to be on the, be considered shine rap, but these people aren't. And so I think it was a lot of a uh, round table discussion and um, ultimately, you know, the people decided. And so that was, you know, the, the vote and the will of the people. So, I think it was it was it was interesting, and you know I was able to learn a lot. And I'm I'm always a avid person that likes to you know learn any type any type of way we can do something to work together better. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always I'm always up for that discussion, and so um, you know challenges you know you're going to have them in your job, but if you can you know face them head on and with the right team with you by your side, you know, you can accomplish quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of these challenges, because here you are, Travis, you're now serving your tribe, you're an elected leader. And, uh, you know, you must deal with criticism from time to time and, and people that don't agree with policies and things like that. And how do you deal with that? You know, is there any way to prepare for just what that's like having your, your career and your life under scrutiny like that? Mm, I'd like to say it, you know, everybody has an opinion, you know, and we have every right to ignore their opinion. And my thought is, you know, if somebody comes from a place of um, understanding and, you know, you can kind of empathize with them or just, you know, even sit there and visit, then, you know, go for it because I'll visit with anybody. I'll talk with anybody. 
uh, the only thing I don't tolerate is, you know, just the disrespect. And then I'm after that, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I just got to keep it pushing. But for the most part, you know, I don't let, you know, I don't let this, bo- I don't let it bother me. I don't let my career interfere with my home life because to me coming into this position, I, I knew that, you know, it's a, you're, you're basically opening yourself up. You're making yourself more susceptible. And, but what I like to take from that is, you know, the vulnerability aspect of it. There's so much room for growth if you allow yourself to be vulnerable. And, you know, a lot of times I've just taken any criticism as constructive criticism. You know, I'm I'm not one to steer shy of somebody telling or, you know, suggest suggesting ways we can do things better or, you know, work together or even maybe not work together. But I just think it's, um, you know, healthy, it can be tough, healthy dialogue. But, Right, you know, yeah. and, and you know, it, it, you know, any type of uh, publicity is good publicity. So I'd like to, you know, say, hey, if you know, you want to visit about that, then sure, let's sit down and visit about it. But um, for the most part, you know, it's it's a lot of give and take, and you just got to take the good with the bad. But you know, you go okay. with it, and you you do the best you can. Put one foot for the other, and you know, pray for everybody. Travis, how do you primarily communicate with your constituents? Are you on social media or is it more face-to-face? How do you interact? A combination of both. It's a lot of um, social media. We do have a a, a Rappahoe District 3 page. And so we would also have a ninth legislature page that our Shine Rappahoe Tribe, usually a lot of... uh, you know, social media or phone calls or just text or I, I even like to do mail outs, you know, just to in- engage with our constituents on a, on a basis of these are the type of uh, legislation we've been passing. And this is the uh, direction of our office. This is what our goals look like. And this is the type of uh, resources that might be available. And so it, it's a lot of communication because I think, you know, if there's no communication, there's room for static. And so if we're able to communicate effectively, via social media, via mail outs, via phone calls, um, then that's usually the the most effective way or, you know, but for me personally, I like to go visit with the elders because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, I was raised by my grandma and my grandma, you know, like a lot of other grandmas, they usually know pretty much what's going on in the communities more <laughs> so than anybody else. And so, um, you know, I got home Sunday from Vegas and, you know, that I, I went over there to visit with my you know, my grandma, check on them, make sure they're all all right, doing okay. And I wanted to come, you know, give my word to my grandma because, you know, she, she played a a significant role in my life that led me to where I am today. And and I'm just forever thankful for, you know, my family, for all the love and support that they give me. And I'm just incredibly blessed. And I thank my community and everybody who support me and, you know, from even those who don't support, you know, it's, it's all love and we're all Arapaho, we're all Cheyenne Arapaho. And it's, it's, it's awesome to serve my community. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next four years of continuing to serve my community because I think we've just begun where we can continue off um, as far as, you know, working together to improve our tribes, uh, I know I mentioned a little bit about language earlier, but you know we have a saying in Arapaho, and it's "Be kahatiti, nahatene bati, hawatjesine bati, don bashtjesine hi." 
and that says love and respect one another. We all stand as one. And I truly do believe that when we work together, we can accomplish more together than we can ever separately. And so, you know, like the seven prophecy says, you know, the seven generations here, and they're the ones that are going to lead us. And, you know, I'd just like to talk a little bit about the um, workshops that we had there at, at Res. They were so powerfully uh, informational. And so, I, you know, a lot of what we discussed was along the lines of, you know, creating a pathway for your successors and, you know, developing cultures of understanding and, you know, must have space from everybody and must have buy-in from everybody. You know, be a mentor and, you know, teach something new, you know, and and I like to I like to just, you know, be there and network with everybody and also take back a lot of good information that they provided for us. And um, I think all the panelists did a really good job. The committee, everybody who had a helping part in this was, you know, it, it, was, it was an amazing thing to see Natives come together like that. Well, Travis, I'm just uh, so glad that you're able to join us today, and I really appreciate your message. It, uh, it really resonates here on Native America Calling, and I'm really glad to hear that, uh, that you were able to stop by and visit your grandmother and, uh, and show her some love as well. And I'm just kind of trying to picture you sitting there in a dental chair, getting a root canal and getting this text message that you're going to be going to Las Vegas and everything else. But uh, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Again, Travis Ruiz, he is the Speaker of the Ninth Legislature for the Arapaho District 3 of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribes. Travis, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. You bet. You bet. As we mentioned at the start of the show, Native America Calling senior producer Andy Murphy is also among those recognized with the 40 Under 40 honor this week. She's now back home from Las Vegas, and she can join us. Hello, Andy. Hi. How are you guys doing? We are doing fantastic. I'm hoping you're getting some much-needed rest after what's been a whirlwind of a week. Right? I think four days in Las Vegas is too much, but four days um, at a, a Native conference is a lot, um, a lot. You know, you, we've spent, you know, I think everybody spent so much energy just, um, you know, uh, networking and, um, you know, learning about other, you know, tribal initiatives. And, you know, I, I definitely, you know, spent a lot of energy just like, um, you know, talking about Native America calling and our past, our, our recent award, and then uh, talking about my podcast, Toasted Sister, and, you know, then asking, like, going into that, that journalist mode and asking a bunch of questions about <laughs> about everybody else's uh, uh, business and, and cool projects that they're doing. But, um, yeah, just, just resting up a little bit at home before I head back into the office next week. <laughs> Well, I hope you get that much-needed rest. I, I saw you message the crew uh, yesterday and said you really missed your cats and you missed just being at your house, relaxing, chilling. So I'm hoping you're really able to enjoy the weekend. And Andy, it just amazes me. I mean, I, I've talked to so many people over the past week that were either on their way to res or they were coming home from res. I think over 4,000 people attend that conference. I mean, that's just a huge, huge event. What's it like just being around so many people all focused on economic development and other issues. Yeah, it, it's overwhelming at some spots. Uh, you know, just just realizing that um, 
you know, all of these people are really, you know, making making the tribal economies uh, work and, and trying to boost their tribal economies. I mean, it's just uh, amazing to be in that space um, that they have like a big general session, like a big lunch, uh, you know, in the middle of the day. And just to look at all these tables filled with people, um, it was it was really awesome. And then and then, uh, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to for Native America Calling in, in the past years, um, you know, getting to meet them for the first time, that was pretty that was pretty cool. You know, kind of uh, matching that face to the voice and you know <laughs> all the email chains I have. <laughs> right on. Well, Andy, we got to take another break, but uh, congratulations. Again, uh, well-deserved, well-deserved. Andy Murphy, senior producer here at Native America Calling and also host of the award-winning podcast, Toasted Sister. You're hearing her live here on Native America Calling. She just got home from Las Vegas. Folks, give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Stay with us and we'll be right back. The Indian Arts and Crafts Act protects authentic American Indian and Alaska Native artists and craftspeople and their art and craftwork. Under the act, it is illegal to market art or craftwork misrepresented as American Indian, Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native made, or as the product of a particular Indian tribe. Reporting potential act violations can be done at doi.gov IACB or at 1-888-ART-FAKE. Support provided by Indian Arts and Crafts Board. Thanks for tuning in today to Native America Calling. The future is in good hands if you go by the list of 40 Native people all under the age of 40 named by NCAIED. They were all celebrated this week in Las Vegas at the Reservation Economic Summit. If you'd like to weigh in on this year's energetic and enterprising 40 under 40 class, give us a call. The number is 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got our phone lines open, folks, and our producers are waiting for your calls. If you want to give out Shout out to Andy, or if you'd like to talk to Travis Ruiz, uh, they're both on the line, and uh, they're excited to answer any questions you have uh, regarding uh, their recent award there, 40 Under 40. Also talking about the Res uh, Summit there in Las Vegas, huge, huge event. And Andy Murphy, who's on the line, uh, Native America Calling Senior Producer. Andy, you know, 40 other people, excuse me, 39 other people won these awards, of course, Juana Chasing Horse and Travis Ruiz and many others. Who were some of the other awardees that you just really enjoyed meeting and interacting with? Well, I um, enjoyed interacting with everybody. Um, you know, the, the 40 Under 40 uh, reception where we were all together was, um, wasn't what I thought. I thought it was going to be like maybe 40 people plus one you know, 80 people, <laughs> but it turned out to be like almost everybody. And uh, it was just kind of like a hectic time trying to, um, you know, network and, and mingle around with everybody while it was freezing cold outside, which is not normal for Las Vegas, oh, um, freezing cold and windy. But, um, you know, the folks that I, uh, you know, there's a picture of all of us in a, in a group picture on our website. Um, you know, the folks that I, uh, you know, had to stand in line next to and, 
um, you know, th those were some really awesome folks. I think there were a lot of uh, uh, Navajos who won uh, this award, but um, it, it was just really nice to uh, <laughs> hear them announce, like, from the Navajo Nation. <laughs> I think we were all kind of, like, keeping score. It was, uh, you know, between the Navajos and the Cherokee. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, tell you what, speaking of Navajo Nation 40 Under 40 awardees, we've got another one on the line right now. Joining us from Window Rock, Arizona, is the president of the Navajo Nation, Dr. Boo Nigren. President Nigren, congratulations and thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Yes, I do appreciate you allowing me to join on today, and I, I do appreciate that. And yes. It was a good, uh, I think, a good class of the 40 under 40. Really enjoyed my time in uh, uh, being there with some really outstanding uh, other Native American leaders as well, too. So definitely very appreciative of the uh, national turn. Well, it sounds like like one heck of a class, and I'm, I'm wondering how they're going to top it next year with some of the high-profile people such as yourself who were recognized this year. President Nigren, since your election last fall, you have gained an enormous amount of media attention. You've been traveling extensively, working, winning awards and recognition. Have you had a moment to just sit back yet and kind of breathe? No, it's been it's been a little tough because one of the things that I campaigned on was a working president that wants to work on the tough issues and be at the forefront and all those good things. But so far, it's been it's been exciting. I even uh, one of my trips to actually to the award ceremony was a was a good trip because we started my day at 6 a.m. in Winter Rock and then we went to uh, Winter Rock High School, spoke with the seniors at 8:30, then at 9.30, we had Apache County Supervisors, drove to Canada, Arizona, which is about mm -hmm. another hour from there, spoke with the seniors, and then Twin Arrows, Flagstaff. We ended up at the right. We showed up about 30 minutes before the award ceremony was about to start, <laughs> and we showed up in black towels that were covered in mud. And uh, we said, yep, that's the nomination president right there, walking out of the mud-covered towels. Oh, geez. Well, living up to your name as a working president, for sure. Uh, <laughs> coming in there like you just came out of the corral or something like that. President Nigrin, at the ripe old age of 36, you are the youngest president to ever serve in Window Rock. What do you think it says about the Navajo Nation that a millennial now leads the largest Native American tribe in the United States? I think it says a lot. I know that for far too long, our nation is uh, land-based wise. I know we represent one-third of all reservation uh, people that occupy lands on reservations. So it's a big responsibility being able to represent one-third of all Indian people that reside on reservations. And then at the same time, over 400,000 uh, registered uh, as a quarter Navajo or above. So it's a big responsibility. And I think it's, uh, it's great to know that the Navajo people have entrusted me to be their leader. I know that at the same time too, as well, I, I made sure that during my campaign, 90% of my speeches were in Navajo just to make sure that I continue to honor uh, our language, our culture, and our elders, make sure that I can still communicate with them. And I think that's where I was able to bridge those gaps and really showcase that you can be modern, highly educated, working professional at the same time, really have command of the Navajo language and earn the trust of the Navajo people. And I think that it's, it's going to be a good time because I know even a lot of the things that we do on a daily basis is fast-paced and technology-driven and really trying to uh, bring Navajo to the forefront because I know it's a, 
it's a tremendous task though because it's hard to move a tribe of this size uh, of this not only the size but the land uh dynamic that that based the navajo people so it's uh so far it's been exciting it's been 87 days since i've been president <laughs> 87 days president Nigren, another thing i just really admire about you is just uh your initiative i mean here this is uh the first elected office that you have ever held, and, and here it is, president of the largest tribe in the United States. And, you know, so often, you know, you talk to people and, and they have ambition to run for elected office or they're interested in, in running as tribal leaders. But for whatever reason, they're just kind of hesitant. They're not sure if it's really the right time. And what do you tell people like that, that, that have an interest in, in, in tribal government, but just aren't quite ready to take the plunge and, and run for office such as yourself? I think my best advice is always do something that brings joy to your heart. I know as a young man growing up in poverty and a lot of the struggles that our people face across Indian country, one of the things I always knew my mom would always tell me was prepare yourself, learn the challenges, and if you become a leader, uh, overcome them, and then you can, you're can you more than qualified to be our leader. And I think that's one of those things of being able to build your own home on the reservation, know what it's like to get the water line, power line, and the struggles of even just building a home and getting to know those elements and being able to uh, speak our language. I think that's, that was what I was able to overcome because if it doesn't bring you, you got to have your heart has to be in the right place. Like mm. for me to, I know I get that all the time. How did you become president at 35 years old, uh, be elected, <laughs> and then now 36 to be president of the Ambo Nation against a really seasoned uh, career uh, politician? very popular yes. politician that of Navajo. And to pull that off, I felt like I stayed true to myself because throughout the campaign, I was like, I'm against anti-poverty. I'm against the Why not? Why white Navajo? And I think I brought a lot of that momentum from there and just speaking to the truth that uh, I recognize our people's struggles and every day that I'm president, I'll not take it for granted and we'll work on those initiatives. And I think that's what really helped me because it's uh it was uh, nearly seventy thousand Navajos voted in the election it was, a, it was a pretty big election so exciting. Yeah, yeah, big turnout for that election last fall and uh, President Ranger, you mentioned some of the challenges that are facing the Navajo Nation, basic services, areas of persistent poverty, uh, utilizing energy resources. What are you going to really focus on in this first term of yours, and what are going to be your strategies to, to make change? I think so far we've really tried, we've been identifying a lot of the red tape that the Navajo Nation has created within itself. And one of the things, the basic questions I always come back to, the decisions that come my way is, is this going to help move our nation forward? Is it something that we're in the way of? Let's fix that right away. As I know, it starts some business site leases, home site leases, and just getting water and power line. I said, you know what? If if I'm going to get chastised or getting water or power to somebody or approving this, so be it. Because what's important to me is the safety and the well-being of a Navajo person. That comes at the forefront. So I try to keep my my a lot of my decisions very basic to the lively and survival of our people, and then this makes decisions so much easier because. No one can dispute that, and I think that's, that it, that's what is the main driver 
of everything you got to do, whether it's roads, because I know there's 10, over 10,000 miles of roads on Navajo, dirt roads, paved roads, personal roads, and we're never going to have enough uh, uh, money coming from the government. But one of the things that we can challenge ourselves is let's develop our own gravel pits. Let's develop how can we bring that cost down and how can we train more people? How can we organize and work with county and state road departments to help us manage some of these roads? So those partnerships, I've, I've been very big on partnerships. Even at Res yesterday, given my, my keynote speech during lunch yesterday, one of the things I talked about was I look forward to working with other tribal leaders uh, to see the, to learn from their successes so that I can bring those home to Navajo. Because one of the things I always hear with uh, other tribal nations is how well their tribal enterprises are going. And on a monthly basis, them bringing home the bacon every month automatically. And that's one of the things I want to work on here on Navajo is we've got a lot of tribal enterprises that we that don't bring the bacon home every month. So really refining that is one of the, the aspects that I want to push and move towards. And at the same time, uh, I think I campaigned on tourism and, and business development. And that's one of the things I've passed is met with tour operator companies, Navajo businesses, and really any dollars that are that are that, that have been allocated. I always ask my team, how can we get Navajo people to uh, be competitive and compete for some of these projects so that they can build these projects? What is it? The other one is uh, businesses and people and, and grants and people that, whether it's working for a women's shelter grant or whether it's a, a business trying to work with Navajo, people are afraid because it's so hard to get paid from the Navajo Nation government. So those are the things I'm like, people should be happy to do work with Navajo. They shouldn't have to go out of business before they get paid. So that's right. some of the initiatives that, um, that I'm really focused on that, that I'm pushing. So, so far, it's been fun, 87 days. <laughs> well, President Nigren, you know, I appreciate you mentioning other tribal leaders because as the nation's largest tribe, you know, Navajo Nation has has a lot of clout, uh, both there, you know, in states like Arizona, New Mexico, and just across the United States as well. And how do you see using that momentum, that influence uh, to not only benefit the Navajo Nation, but just Native American tribes across the board? I think it's going to be very beneficial. I think that um, I've toured a few reservations when and I've been told that even like Salt River, I don't think a Navajo, if they're located in Phoenix, a Navajo Nation president has never gone to their reservation and they're right in Phoenix and sat down and toured their enterprises. And that's something that I did within the first month of being president was, uh, sure, we're, we've got all this clout because our voting uh, power and our land and our resources and our people. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not going to take for granted some of these little tribes, smaller tribes that are. And I want to take some of that success and uh, implement it here on Navajo. And I think that only makes Navajo stronger because one of the things I, I think I think about is the stronger Navajo can be, then the stronger Indian country can be because uh, if, if, the, if the, the government or if the states or anybody wants, uh, can is allowed to pick on such a big tribe like Navajo, just imagine some of the smaller tribes. So that, I think that's a strong responsibility of the Navajo Nation president is to make sure that we're equipped, we're ready to go, and we represent Indian country that uh, we uh, that we're that we're ready to go, and we need to be a part of things that are happening across America. Good example is just sitting in on the Supreme Court case a few weeks ago. That put a lot of things in perspective 
when I took, like you said, I took it all in when I'm sitting there in the crowd and watching the U.S. Uh, uh, Department of Justice say certain things that really put up some red flags for me and be like, okay, I see, I see how it is, kind of a deal, and uh, really trying to make sure that protecting Navajo and making Navajo stronger, just in general, is really good for Indian country. And if I can do that by partnering with other tribal leaders, even better for all of us. Mm. President Boo Nigren, uh, youngest ever president of the Navajo Nation. And President Nigren, um, one one challenge that some of uh, your predecessors have had in this position is it's tough to go two terms. It's tough to win a second term in Window Rock. Uh, and we are going to have to wrap up the show in about another minute. But if you could just talk a little bit about why is it so challenging there on the Navajo Nation for presidents to win re-election? I think the challenge is you got to get stuff done. And that's what I told my team. I said, we've got 48 months when we started, and let's, that's all we got. We'll work our tails off, and then the work that we've gotten done. Because uh, I told them, history shows that Navajo chairmen and presidents get reelected for the work that they do. You look at uh, President Joe Shirley was the last one that got reelected in 2003 to 2011. And then before then was 27 years, which was uh, Chairman McDonald, which was about nearly 50 years ago. He got reelected to a second term. And then before then, it's the 60s. So within the past 50 years, only two people have been reelected back to back. So and and some of those, I think of Peter McDonald and Chairman McDonald and uh, President Shirley, they've they were well accomplished in bringing the bacon home and getting things accomplished. So that's what I've tasked my team on is let's not worry about re-election. Let's focus on as if our job has to be done in 48 months and let's work our tails off and deliver for our Navajo people. And bring in the bacon home. There you have it. President of the Navajo Nation, Dr. Boo Nigren. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for our show today. Native American 40 Under 40 awardees. Big thanks to our guest today, Kiwana Chasing Horse, Boo Nigren, Travis Ruiz, and of course, Andy Murphy. We are back again on Monday, looking at the economic benefits and the environmental costs of the proposed Donlin Gold Mine in Alaska. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Andy Murphy is our senior producer, and Sol Traverso is our associate producer. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Joe McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. And Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. Have a safe weekend. We'll talk again soon. Depression touches nearly everyone. The Native American Social Work Studies Institute educates social workers for careers as a counselor with culturally relevant training. Info at online.nmhu.edu. New Mexico Highlands University supports this show. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean and Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, 
protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Ameren's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Ameren.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.